It will be our Christmas gift to you to get your children back at the end of this service. Good morning to you. Uh, We just read a uh, passage from Isaiah 43. And in that passage, I don't know if you caught it, but it said, God speaking, you are precious in my eyes. You are honored. And I love you. And man, that is spoken from God to all of His people who are connected to Christ by faith. If that is you this morning, you are precious in the eyes of God. You are honored. You are loved. Man, what a great theme this morning, love. Just looking at Advent, the, the, the arrival of Christ and thinking of that theme, love. You are loved in Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 19. We won't read it right away. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 19 when we do read here. Uh, During this season of Advent, during this sermon portion of our series, we're looking at one text each week that pointed forward uh, to the first Advent or arrival of Jesus uh, on earth. We started last week, way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were tempted uh, to sin by Satan, who was in the form of a serpent. God, God then made back at that time a very gracious promise that he would one day send an offspring of the woman, one man who would ultimately crush the head of the serpent. Uh, crushing the head of Satan. A text that pointed forward to the first arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, we're moving forward in time just a little bit uh, to one of the patriarchs, to Abraham here in Genesis chapter 22. We find here another great text that pointed forward to the, the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray as we get started here. Well, Father, we do thank you for your love for us, that in Jesus we are precious in your eyes. Uh, We are honored. We are loved by you with an infinite love. We just thank you for this, Father. Thank you, Father, for an opportunity to spend a couple weeks here in December just focusing on the advent of Christ, the arrival of Jesus Christ to this earth. Lord, we just ask that you would open up our hearts, you'd give us faith, you'd help us to receive these things in in a new and deep way, Father. We ask for your help here this morning. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever received a gift, uh, some amazing present that you had been waiting for for a long, long time, and then you had to give that gift back again? Uh, I did. Uh, or I almost did. Uh, I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. Uh, just a week or so before Christmas, 
I could tell that one of the gifts under the tree in our home was a gift I'd been waiting for. It was a, it was a video game system that I had been waiting for for months, could not wait to get that thing. But uh, then I transgressed the laws of my superiors, uh, my parents. I don't remember exactly um, what I did at that point in my life. It might have been the time... I spat on the head of one of my school classmates, uh, just for fun, of course, because why wouldn't that be fun to spit on the head of one of your classmates? And I barely avoided suspension by the skin of my teeth. And at home, the judgment then fell. I was told that all of my parent, all of my my presence would would then go back. To the store, and I realize now that my parents were probably not really intending to do that, but that was a very real threat to eleven or twelve year old. Uh, I was convinced that this gift that I had under the tree, I had now lost this gift, and I'm telling you, the pain of that apparent loss uh, was severe for me. And, and Abraham here in Genesis chapter 22, well, he, he tasted a similar pain of loss, only much worse. He didn't think he was losing here just some little video game. No, he thought he had lost here his only son, a son whom he had been praying for, waiting for, longing for, for some 25 years. A little background for this passage before we read it. Earlier in Genesis, God made some amazing promises to Abraham. Here they are, Genesis chapter 12. God came to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. I will give you lots of descendants, Abraham, uh, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God comes to Abraham, just makes some amazing promises to this man that God will give him lots of offspring, descendants, and and through his offspring, God will somehow bless all the nations of the earth. And, And God later then came to Abraham and told Abraham that his first offspring, his first child with his wife Sarah, would be a boy named Isaac, which means laughter. Genesis 17, 19, God said this. He said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And man, when when Abraham initially heard all of these amazing promises uh, from God about all these offspring and this first offspring named named Isaac, well, Abraham simply believed God. He he simply trusted God and trusted God's promises. Genesis fifteen six says this, and he Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to Abraham as righteousness. He simply trusted God. He simply trusted what God had promised 
to him. And because of that simple faith, God counted Abraham or considered Abraham to be righteous. Romans 4 says that Abraham was justified at that time. He was declared innocent by God through faith alone. Abraham hadn't done anything great at that point in time. He hadn't really produced any good works of faith. No, he simply believed what God said. And because he believed God, God counted him to be righteous through faith alone. And man, after Abraham and his wife Sarah, they receive all these promises from God about these offspring and about this one offspring who will start it off named Isaac. Well, they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited for 25 long years until Sarah finally conceived and gave birth to the son Isaac. Laughter. And man, they both laughed at that point in time with the gift of this son. And man, Abraham, he had now received the gift of a lifetime. He had received the thing he had longed for for some 25 years. But now in Genesis 22, Isaac, now a young boy, well, God now asks Abraham to give this gift back. Let's go ahead and read it. Genesis 22, 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains Of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided." And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. I want to look at three things uh, with you here this morning, just looking at this text. First, we'll just look at the test itself. Uh, Number two, we'll look at the promise here. And number three, the solution. Uh, So first here, just for a couple minutes, the test. Verse one says that God now tested Abraham. God will occasionally test his people. God will occasionally test Christians, test believers at times. God will sovereignly ordain that his people will enter certain trials at times. And those trials are designed by God to reveal what is really in their hearts. Uh, You've probably heard before that you can hold a tube of toothpaste and how do you know what's really inside that tube of toothpaste well you have to squeeze it well that's what a trial does it squeezes God's people a little bit and and out of them you you now see what is truly in their hearts you know it's so easy in this life to say you have faith in God it's so easy in this life to say that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so easy to say that you're a follower of Christ in your heart. People are saying that all over the world. But, but what happens when you find yourself in some difficult trial where mere words are no longer sufficient? Now you have to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Now you actually have to demonstrate your faith in some way. You, you have to produce some visible works or, or actions of faith, the obedience of faith. Maybe your boss at, at work, he, he now tells you to do something that's unethical. And you now have to demonstrate your faith in Christ by humbly saying no to your boss at the risk of losing your job. Maybe your friends at school. They're egging you on to do something that you know are contrary to Christ's commands. And and you now have to demonstrate your faith in Christ by walking away from your friends at the risk of losing all your friends. Trials. God, God, God sovereignly testing His people, giving them opportunities to demonstrate their faith and giving them opportunities to actually walk out their faith, put their money where their mouth is. Christians don't always pass the tests in this life perfectly. They don't. And you can see that right in the life of Peter, who, man, at one moment, he's saying with his words that he would die with Jesus Christ. And in the very next moment, then, in a sovereignly ordained trial with his actions, he's denying the Lord Jesus Christ. But, man, a Christian who fails in a time of testing, if that person truly does have a genuine faith in Christ, that person will always return later to the Lord Jesus Christ like Peter did. 
Now, many people in this world who say they trust in Christ, they're then tested in some difficult trial and they walk away from Christ and they never return to Christ, proving that they never truly had a genuine faith in Christ. But those who are truly Christians who do possess a living faith in Christ, when they are tested and tried, even if they fail, they will return later to the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, it's those tests of our faith in this life. It is those tests that strengthen us as Christians. Those are the things that strengthen our faith. If we pass them or if we fail and return later, they are still the things that strengthen us as Christians. James chapter 1, if you put that on the screen, it says this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness produces uh, endurance or produces strength in a believer, that testing of your faith. God ordains those tests to reveal what's truly in our hearts, and God then uses those tests to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith. And God now in Genesis chapter 22, he tests Abraham. Abraham said before that he had faith in God, but now he will actually have to walk that faith out. He'll have to put uh, 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 his faith into action. He'll have to produce some visible fruits or visible works of faith. Uh, Maurice Blondel, a man used to, or he he once said this, he said, if you want to know what a person really believes... Don't listen to what he says, but watch what he does. If you want to know what a person really believes, don't listen to what he says, but watch what he does. And we're now going to see here what Abraham really believes by watching what he does. If you look at verse 2 again, here's the test now for Abraham. God said, take your son Abraham, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Man, that, that, that amazing gift that I gave you, Abraham, that you waited for for 25 years. Not, not just a little video game, but the only son you and your wife Sarah now have. I want him back, Abraham. And man, you, 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 you can just read through that story and just miss the emotion there. You, you, you just can't imagine what Abraham felt when he heard those words. Maybe in a dream from God or, or a vision or something at night. And the emotion that must have gone through Abraham's heart. Just thinking of giving up his only child. Just think of giving up your, your child if, if you have one. Man, it is painful enough for me when my child just gets hurt in some way. Uh, last Christmas Day, uh, one of my girls uh, slipped on the ice and smacked her face and broke her tooth. I saw the whole thing happen, and my heart hurt so bad for my daughter simply because of a tooth. I can't imagine what it would feel like if I thought I actually had to give my daughter up, if I thought I actually had to sacrifice my daughter. And man, that's what God just told Abraham to do. God's command here is crystal clear. 
And with each little phrase of this command here, this command just gets more heart-rending. God says, take your son, Abraham, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. That must have shocked Abraham to hear those words from God. And you think what this would require of Abraham, you get it. He knows, I will have to take my son, lay him on some stone altar, and actually slit his throat with a knife and set him on fire, my own Son. And it must have been so confusing to Abraham. A human sacrifice, like the pagan nations, which God had never commanded anyone to do before, which God actually condemns multiple times in the Bible. And yet God is now asking Abraham to do it with his own child, which would seemingly obliterate all of God's promises to him. Because all of God's promises to Abraham, they are all tied up in this one son named Isaac. It is through Isaac that Abraham will have all the other offspring. So if Isaac is dead, all of Abraham's other offspring will never exist, not the way God promised. All of God's promises are ultimately dead must have been extremely confusing for Abraham, extremely painful for Abraham, beyond imagination to think of slaughtering his own son. But it was a command of God, spoken directly to Abraham, a very severe test now of Abraham's faith. Will he walk now in obedience to God, not just saying in words that he believes in God, but will he actually walk that out doing what God says, trusting what God says in his word in spite of the pain, in spite of the, of the confusion? Will he do it? And the next seven words are stunning. You look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I would have delayed for days. I would have found a way to delay. God, you remember the Gideon thing, how he took a couple days and we did the fleece thing? Let's do that for maybe a couple weeks and make sure I heard you clearly. But he didn't delay for a couple days. He didn't Delay, it doesn't even seem, until noon. No, early in the morning, Abraham rose. Probably confused as could be. Afraid, terrified, sick to his stomach. This massive lump of grief already in his stomach. He knows now that it's going to be a few days before he has to do this dastardly thing to his own son. How in the world could he do it? But he rose to obey God. Verse 4 says that he and Isaac and two servants took a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. Abraham then left his servants behind, took the wood for the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac. 
who has now become not just the sacrifice, Isaac. No, now Isaac has also become the beast of burden, carrying the kindling for his own sacrifice. And they start up this mountain. John Currid says this. He says, One of them is unsuspecting and innocently obeying his father. The other must be in agony, but is firm in his faith, trusting his heavenly father. And on the way, Isaac, if you look at the passage, he's not said a word yet in the passage. He now finally speaks. Look at verse 7 again. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both so they went both of them together. Those of you who have children, you know how the questions go in your home at times? Uh, I have two sons in my own home, and they've asked me lots of questions over the years. <laughs> Daddy, uh, can you tickle me? Daddy, can we play football? Uh, Daddy, are you stronger than Hulk? As if that even needs to be asked. <laughs> Quite obvious I am. Uh, but, but that right there uh, has to be one of the most heartbreaking questions a boy ever asked his dad. Walking innocently beside his father, maybe holding his father's hand on the way up this mountain, carrying this wood, and he realizes they don't have an animal for the sacrifice. My father, where's the lamb for this burnt offering? And Abraham you know, he don't know why he answered the way he did. One of the reasons, he, probably hard for Abraham to answer here directly. And he simply says, God will provide for himself the lamb, my son. And Abraham, man, just can't even imagine feeling that. That word provide, God will provide for himself. The word provides you several times in this passage, that is one of the, the, the central points of this entire chapter. God will provide. God will provide the sacrificial lamb. And verse 8 then simply says that Abraham and Isaac now went, both of them, together. Most likely now in a, a, a deep silence, I would imagine. That phrase there, they, they went both of them together as a man, E.A. Spicer, and he says that that phrase right there, it may be the most poignant and eloquent silences of all literature. And when they finally reach the top of this mountain, man, everything in the passage seems to slow down. Every step now is just laid out in painful detail. You keep hearing this word, and, and, and. If you look at verse 9 again, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
You know, in, in, in musical pieces, some of you who play music, you know this much better than I do, but there's a, a term, ritardando. Uh, you gradually decrease the tempo of the music for dramatic effect. And, and that's essentially what just happened in the Hebrew right there, this kind of retardando, this, this, this decreasing of the tempo of the text uh, for a very dramatic effect. And Abraham now raises his knife to slaughter his own son. But many of you know the story well. God stops him. You look at verse 11 again. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And anytime you see the same word together like that in the Bible, there's an intensity behind it. The angel of the Lord is yelling to Abraham, stop, Abraham, stop, stop, stop. And he goes on, Abraham says, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Man, if you, if you, if you want to know what a person really believes... Don't just listen to what the person says, but watch what the person does. And we now know that Abraham has a deep and genuine faith in God because of his actions. His internal faith in in God has now revealed itself externally in his actions. The faith in his heart has now produced genuine works of faith, a, a, a working faith. That's what true faith is. True faith in God, true faith in Jesus, it is a working faith. Now you're not saved initially by your works. You're saved simply by faith alone. You believe what God says in the Bible and God counts you as righteous simply because you believe it. But if you do truly have that saving faith in your heart, that saving faith will eventually show itself in your actions. You'll begin to follow Christ with all your heart. You'll seek to obey Christ. When you fail and walk away, well, you'll return to Christ in repentance. That is a true faith. The reformers, Martin Luther and Calvin and those guys, they used to say, you are are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But a true saving faith in Christ, it will never be alone. A true saving faith will always have good works attached to it. And we now see that Abraham, yeah, he had a genuine faith in God, not just in his mouth, not just in his words. He wasn't just a nominal Christian in America saying, oh, I trust in Jesus, but when push comes to shove, I really don't. No, Abraham had a deep and genuine faith in Christ. When he was tried, when he was tested, out of him came a faith in God at all cost, at all risk, I will follow the Lord. A genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ revealed itself here. That's what faith is. 
faith that produces. It's a working faith. And man, if a faith doesn't produce good works, it's not a genuine faith. It doesn't matter what people say in their mouths. James chapter 2, verse 17 says this, says faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. It's a dead faith. It's a superficial only faith. As R.C. Sproul says, you, you, you can have a profession of faith in your mouth just saying you trust in Jesus, but you don't yet have a true possession of genuine faith in your heart. It's just a dead faith if it doesn't have good works attached to it. Abraham had a true faith. He said back in Genesis 15, he said that he believed in God and man, God saw it was true faith and God counted it to him as righteousness. You are righteous through faith alone. Abraham, Romans 4 says Abraham was justified by God. Back then he was declared to be innocent by God through faith alone. But James chapter 2 says of Abraham now, it says right here that Abraham's faith was now actually along with his works. His faith was now completed by his works. God created this uh, designer fire for Abraham, this test of his life. And man, now that he has taken this, this visible step of faith, now that he's raised the knife in obedience to God's command, well, the test is now over. God stops Abraham And oh my word, can you imagine what relief that would have been for Abraham? The second the angel of the Lord stopped him, don't you think he was hoping that might happen? Raise the knife, waited, waited, and then as it was coming down, the Lord stops him. Can you imagine that, man? The Jesus Storybook Bible for kids. Even you adults need to go back and read this thing. It says this about this story. It says, Abraham felt his heart leap with joy. He unbound Isaac, enfolded his son in his arms. Great sobs shook the old man's whole body. Scalding tears filled his eyes. And for a long time, they stayed there like that in each other's arms. The boy and his dad. Man, don't miss the emotion in the scripture when you read it. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And man, Abraham now turns around and just so happens to see a ram caught in a bunch of thorns. And he takes the ram and he sacrifices the ram instead of his own son. God has provided the sacrifice on this mountain like Abraham said God would. So Abraham names this place here, the Lord will provide, and it becomes a saying that just goes on and on for years. Verse 14, as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So that's the first thing there, just this test. And the second thing, very, very briefly, the promise. You know, all these promises that God had had spoken to Abraham before this story here, all these promises, well, God now repeats them. Now that Abraham's faith has been clearly demonstrated to be a full-orbed working faith, a faith in both word and action, well, all these promises from the past are now confirmed To Abraham, beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you look at verse 15 again, 
And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only Son, I will surely, Abraham, bless you. And I will surely, Abraham, multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because... Abraham, you did not keep your one and only son, Isaac, from me. I will now for sure give you a zillion offspring. Uh, Just head down to the beach, Abe, and start counting the sand, man. Can you do it? Start counting the stars because um, those, that's going to be like your offspring, Abraham, more than you can number. I will multiply your offspring from just one to one zillion. And God says, in your offspring, Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You look at that story. Abraham's the guy who had to give the gift back. Oh my word. He's the guy who received something infinitely better than the video game. His only son and was asked to give it back. But because he did, God now multiplies that gift a million times over. He receives it back for good better than it ever was before. Number one, the test. Number two, the promise. The final thing this morning. Number three, The solution, the ultimate solution, the ultimate answer for everything here in Genesis 22. You know, if you walk away from this chapter and you think, if God asks me to sacrifice my child, I just need to do it. uh, That's not the answer you should probably have uh, walking away from this passage. Uh, There's more. Uh, Everything here in this chapter Ultimately, pointing forward to something much, much better in the future. This gift that this father, Abraham, uh, gives up here in this passage, giving up his own son. This was just a small foreshadowing. It was just a small foretaste of, of, of something infinitely greater, an infinitely greater gift that a much better father would one day give up, giving up his own son. Man, there's so many great details in this passage. If you just take your time and kind of research them, think through them. You know this mountain here, Mount Moriah? If you stop and think about it, God could have told Abraham to do this thing on any mountain in the area. There were lots of them around, uh, but God chooses this one that will take Abraham three days to get there, Mount Moriah. Why Mount Moriah? Well, because Mount Moriah would ultimately play a very significant role in the Bible. Several hundred years after these events in Genesis 22, the Bible says this about King Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 3 says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord 
he began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. The mountain here, most likely, now this could have been a different Mount Moriah. Most scholars believe this was the same Mount Moriah. (laughs) This Mount Moriah here, the place that Abraham was offering up his son Isaac, well, this would be the place where the temple would eventually be built. And what would ultimately take place within that temple on this temple mount of Moriah? Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Bulls and goats and heifers and sacrificial lambs. Every single morning and evening in the temple on this mountain. And man, hundreds of years then after Solomon put the temple there on that mountain, hundreds of years later, well, another son like Isaac, only infinitely greater than Isaac, he once again approached Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. Now, he would not ultimately be sacrificed on Mount Moriah, They forced him to go outside the camp, as it says in Hebrews 13. Forced him to go outside the wall of Jerusalem to a mountain right next to Moriah, a a much darker, more ominous mountain called Calvary. And this son, just like Isaac, would also carry the wood for his own sacrifice. John 19, 17, he went out bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. This this son now, like Isaac, would not just be the sacrifice, but he was also now the beast of burden, carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. And, And this son, even more so Then Isaac, he climbed his mountain innocently. Not deserving to die, but walking silently. Trusting his father completely. Isaiah 53, 7. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And that silence right there, as E.A. Spicer might say, was the most poignant and eloquent silence of all time. And when the sun arrived at the top of his mountain, he was also, like Isaac, bound and laid on the wood. Only he was kept on his wood, not with ropes, but with nine-inch spikes. His hands and feet. Man, so many similarities between the story here with Isaac and what would ultimately happen in the future with a much greater son. But there's one massive difference. You know what it is? Here it is. Isaac didn't die. But the infinitely greater son would. Isaac's father raised the knife and stopped. But God 
the father did not stop, raised the knife, and sacrificed his own son, pouring out upon his own son, Jesus, the full punishment for sin that you and I deserve. Willem Van Gimmeren says this, Abraham was called to sacrifice this one and only son, but he was spared from finally going through with this horrific act. God Himself, however, sacrificed His one and only Son without sparing Him. Christ Himself, the substitute sacrifice for all who would renounce their own moral record, for all who would renounce their own sin and look in trusting faith to Him, The Apostle Paul, I think, alludes to what happened here in Genesis 22 when he wrote this in Romans 8.32. Paul said, He, God, who did not spare His own Son, unlike Abraham, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Jesus Christ not spared, but given up by His Father, the one and only perfect sacrificial Lamb. John 1.29, John the Baptist looked at Him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, you know, when you stop and look at this chapter, you know what God is now saying about His own Son, Jesus? Well, you could probably find it right there in Genesis 22 too. I have now taken my Son, my only Son, Jesus, whom I love, and offered Him as a sacrifice for sin. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And you know what God the Father did? You know what He did right there with the death of His own Son, Jesus? Right beside this Mount Moriah here? You know what God did? God provided God provided. He said in the Old Testament He would provide. Abraham named the mountain Moriah here, which means the Lord will provide. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen, there said this, On the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. When? In the future. In the future. It will be provided. The one and only true Lamb for a sacrifice. The one and only true sacrificial Lamb for a burnt offering upon the cross. And it was provided God's own beloved Son. And man, why did God do it? Why did He provide His Son, the sacrificial Lamb, on Mount Moriah? Let me give it to you today in one word. Blessing blessing. Did you see what God said to Abraham there in Genesis twenty-two eighteen? And time out. I lost my place. <clears throat> Did you see what God said there to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen? He said this, in your offspring, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And this offspring of Abraham's, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Who is it? 
Well, God was ultimately talking there about just one of Abraham's offspring, one of Abraham's descendants. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 3.16. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, Abraham, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, Abraham, who is Christ. Through just one of Abraham's offspring, just one seed, one man, through Christ, all the nations of the earth will ultimately be blessed. And it all happens through faith. A simple childlike faith. Like, like Abraham, though, it's a working faith. It's not just saying you trust in Christ. But it's, yeah, I trust in Christ, and now I'm following Christ. A true and living, simple, childlike faith, like Abraham. And God looks at you and says, you are blessed. And God is now spreading that blessing all over the world, bringing people all over the world to faith in Christ and blessing them eternally. And that's what we are focusing on here this Advent. That offspring of Abraham has been born. The one and only true sacrificial lamb. And through faith in this offspring of Abraham, you are blessed. But we're not just looking back to the first advent and celebrating the first coming of Christ. We're looking forward to the second advent of Christ when he comes again. Because here's the thing, all of you who now trust in Christ, the blessings that you are now experiencing in Christ, it, it, it doesn't even come close to what you will experience when Christ returns. When he returns, you will experience nothing but blessing. In the presence of this lamb, the offspring of Abraham, forever and ever in a new heavens and new earth. So man, may God help you this Advent season, not just to look back, but to look forward with a joyful expectation when the offspring of Abraham returns and you taste the blessing blessings of God in its complete consummation. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you. We bless you for your word. Just so big, so good, Lord, so um, comprehensive. We thank you, Father, for even these Old Testament texts that ultimately point us to the Lord Jesus. Every story ultimately whispering the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who provides, that you are ultimately a God who provided a sacrifice for us, the one and only Lamb. Give us faith, Lord, that we might experience his blessings forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.